I'm Alex Shaw. I'm Sharon Shaw. And, and welcome, welcome to, to School of Movies. <laughs> Greece. John Travolta, Olivia Newton-John. Greece. The Broadway smash that made theatrical history by becoming one of the longest-running musical comedies of all time breaks loose on the motion picture screen. John Travolta, the sensational star of Saturday Night Fever, ignites the screen in Greece. does it all with Olivia Newton-John in her motion picture debut. People think I'm a leper. Hey, cheer up. Uh, hit me from Kanicki's like a Hallmark car. You pig. I love it when you talk dirty. John Travolta and Olivia Newton-John explode across the motion picture screen in Greece. The movie filled with more song, more dance, more of everything that makes a great musical unforgettable. Hold on a minute. Who are the stars of this film? John Travolta and Olivia Newton-John together for the first time in Greece. With us are longtime alumni of the show, Caro Nagisa. It's like a Hallmark card. Send only the best. <laughs> and Debbie Morse. Like Sandra D. <laughs> I thought you were going to go, hello. You've got like a calling card. Everyone has their own thing. <laughs> you know how, how uh, Jerome always goes, good day, sir. I, I miss it when you don't just. Hello. That's cool. He needs comforting things mm. right now. Thank okay. you for I wouldn't feel right otherwise. <laughs> <laughs> Both from Sequentially Yours. And this is a commissioned episode from listener Matthew A. Siebert. This is also our second show covering a film directed by Randall Kleiser within the past year with these two right here. He also did Flight of the Navigator, which is why you can hear a snatch of You're the One That I Want during the 1978 section of Flight of the Navigator. Randall's directorial debut was The Boy in the Plastic Bubble, starring Travolta. Travolta, welcome to the show for the first time, by the way. I can't believe we've been doing this for more than 10 years just on movies. And we've never done a Joel Travolta. Have we ever even won adjacent Travolta film? Well, he's in either Tarantino stuff or bad things. <laughs> That's so... I mean, he's, he was in... That would be excellent. Ah, here you go. He was in Face Off, and we are doing Face Off as the close of our Rage Cage trilogy this summer, along with The Rock and Con Air. Travolta, welcome to the show for the first time, by the way, who, after his breakout smash Saturday Night Fever, which I've still never seen, had just signed a three-picture deal with Paramount and recruited Randall here to direct Grease for them. So the movie was shot in 1978, and it's set in 1958, deliberately asking those adults born in 1940, who were teenagers at the time, to cast their minds back to their teenage years and revel in nostalgia. So weirdly, it's actually got an older original core demographic than you might first assume, despite being big with teens and tweens and even little kids in the years since. Your ideal fan of Greece is now 80 years old. Oh. I'll let that one sink in. 
The very earliest boomers are the very latest of the GI generation, the ones who remember polio. In fact, there was a section of Greece originally in the stage show where the kids were getting their vaccinations for that now eradicated disease. I believe they brought that back for Greece too. Okay. That's the one with Rex Manning in it, isn't it? Yeah, it is. I'm sure there's a scene in that where they're all getting jabs for something. The T-Birds and the Pink Ladies are too old to have received their shots as babies. They introduced the polio shot later. Uh, They were the first generation to even be teenagers, which is why this is so popular as one of the first actual nostalgia trips to that time, following American Graffiti a few years earlier, directed by George Lucas, and swiftly followed by... Happy Days, and Back to the Future. That's a really good point, actually, because prior to this, there was no point being nostalgic for your teenage years because it was a very short period when you were pissed off because your parents wouldn't let you do grown-up things, but you were too big for baby things. Mm. And it's ironic since those same boomers have a reputation for disapproving of every subsequent generation of teenagers, from Gen X with their Footloose and their Dirty Dancing, to Millennials with their High School Musical and their Step Up, to iGen with their dabbing on haters and potatoes, forced confinement to their bedrooms with their devices due to coronavirus, and their Hamilton and Beetlejuice the musicals watched on Disney Plus and the YouTubes because they're not allowed a youth like the rest of us were. (sighs) So before we get to Rydell High School, how does this film begin? How does it set the scene and tell us that we are in this particular period? So it begins with the... Okay, if we assume going in that the gentle but wildly risque humour throughout this is one of my favourite things about it. Mm -hmm. I first watched this film when I was about four. Yeah. I remember watching Grease on a little black and white set when it was the only TV we had in the house. The only TV in the village. (laughs) And it's it's the first thing... Uh, aside from the Dungeons and Dragons cartoon, which I also watched on the little black and white TV, so it was years before I knew that Sheila's cloak was purple. Yep. Um, the but Dungeons and Dragons and this are the literally the first two things that I remember actually sitting down and watching that I have a memory of of watching. And I think, although at the time, obviously I would not have got any of this, I just thought it was fun and funny. The way they lead in makes it very clear that they are somewhat cocking a snook at 40s and 50s Hollywood. Mm. So the the intro song is an instrumental version of Love is a Many Splendid Thing, which was a 1955 track. 1955? Yeah. <laughs> There's a lot of this that goes back to 1955. Um, but it's, that in itself is based on an aria from Madame Butterfly. So there's a lot of, remember this, hey, remember this, hey, mm. remember this, going back. But I mean, like, in 90, that would have been something that their parents would have liked, exactly. not them. Yeah, yeah. But the So they're already setting up in the film that Sandy's almost like a parent to begin with. Mm. She has to kind of retreat down into being a teenager yeah. later. But that, that opening sequence with the waves crashing on the rocks and the two of them on the beach, it's very obviously from here to eternity. Yeah. Yeah, uh, yeah. 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 
Um, and then when they segue into the animated sequence... So, Grease and Shrek 2 have that in common. They do. <laughs> yeah. When it segues into the animated sequence, which I'll let somebody And Airplane, Jesus. Um, which also has a Saturday Night Fever sequence. Oh, Everything's This snake is going to eat its own tail it's, oh, several yeah. times it's before we finish this. Um, but they they have references in that intro sequence that are uh, also glancing at things like Snow White and Cinderella with Sandy coming into her bedroom and having the uh, birds come yeah, and bring yeah. her dressing gown. and well, The animated thing. Yeah, we're, we're getting a full-on animated intro to we this are. thing. We are, and yeah. somebody else talk about that, but I love this animated I, intro. It's so funny. Hang on. Like, before we carry on, um, Debbie and Carrie, what were your uh, experiences with Greece when you were kids? Uh, for me... Um, Greece was the musical that substitute teachers put on when they weren't given a lesson plan. Oh my God. In, like every class. It's... So I saw it countless times during school and I hated it. Whoa. I really, really despised it growing up. Greece is and... a movie that says, hey, teenagers, sex. Yeah. <laughs> is that really what you want to do for the kids when, they were, when you're bored First at school? The time I saw that was the fifth grade. Oh my goodness. Good Inappropriate. I a word of it. That that's when you put on the Jungle Book, for well, God's yeah. But that's yeah. the thing. This, we, I mean, like the version I saw when I was four was a sanitized UK yeah, TV, TV version. version. So that thing was snipped this was the to bits. VHS. But yeah, this you would have the, seen the whole thing. Yeah, that, that's. And I, like I said, I despised it growing up. Uh, and then I realized that the reason why I despised it was because it was quote-unquote girl stuff. I was yeah. just about to say there was a, yep. a perception that musicals and especially things like Dirty Dancing and Pretty Woman were for girls and boys should like grown-up right. things like Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> And, well, also, and it wasn't just it wasn't musicals in general. Like at, at the time, I think I loved Phantom, mm, okay. which I've gotten over. I love Les Mis. Um, I've got you know I've loved a lot of musicals at the time, but Grease just did not hit me until mm. I became an adult. You're a man Greece. today, son. You enjoy yeah. Grease. Well, <laughs> exactly. It's, yeah. it's ultimately. No, I became an adult, and then I started really studying music and musicals in depth, mm -hmm. and realizing that how much of Greece was influenced by and is telling the story of early rock and roll. And yeah. I fell in love with it from that point forward. Uh, Debbie? And I actually had not seen it until a week ago. Whoa! I had seen, <laughs> you know, I had seen several of the bits and pieces. I had seen a lot of it, you know, via internet and cultural osmosis, mm -hmm. especially, of course, this the musical number at the end. Mm. Yeah. Like that one, you know, I'd seen clips from that numerous times. Yeah. Um, but I, I had very much, I, I tend to not be a fan of musicals in general. Oh, right. And so I had a very somewhat negative impression of it, that it was very cheesy and very, you know, oh no, that I wouldn't like that. And, and then we watched it and no, I absolutely loved it. Hey. I, Alex, Excellent. I cannot tell you how many great movies she has watched because you have said, hey, would you guys like to be on this show? And she's never seen it before. Oh. And we never had an excuse to watch it. It's true. So thank you for that. You're it's welcome. True. Excellent. Gets us a fresh perspective on them as well, which is always valuable. And I would hope that that's the same of you folks at home, that you, you've gone, well, I've never seen 
What's the thing that people never seen? Super eight. Super eight, mm. and uh, I'll make it <laughs> my my job, my business to see that thing, so that I can listen to weird movies. Oops, sorry. And I'll make it my business to see. That. <laughs> <laughs> it's the medication. God damn it! Sorry, folks. I just had a tooth pulled, so I'm a little bit mm. punchy. Anyway, but uh, yeah, so we start off in in the fifties. This this seventies view of the fifties, and. Um, it, it's it's got a little bit of remember this. It's less, uh, hey, remember this than say the wedding singer. But the wedding singer's kind of a good, like a follow up to this. Uh, only obviously it's it's less about teenagers, but uh, it's it's got that same kind of hey the eighties. I mean that's the punchline. So the animated intro uh, sort of introduces us to our, our regular characters, and it was actually um, set to it a completely different original song. And uh, they, the timing works fine with the one that was created by um, one of Barry Gibb or one of the Bee Gees, basically. Yeah, it was Barry Gibb. Yeah, it came up with uh, the "Grease Is the Word" that song, uh, and. The only point that I've written in my notes here is why does Stockard Channing look like Rosie O'Donnell in her picture? The, the final portraits, when it settles on them, are all remarkably unflattering. Yeah, it's basically a caricature yeah, in the little like it, sense yeah. of it. If you're out in the street and you've got someone who draws portraits, it's like, do you like bumper cars? No. Well, you're going to be in a bumper car. But it is actually a pretty <laughs> neat way of underpinning the fact that this is a... Uh, uh, fairy tale it is these kids are going to be drawn with very broad brush strokes yeah. they are archetypes stylized and, stereotypes. and heightened they're stylized yeah. exactly yeah so don't expect i mean it's a musical already so you kind of know going in that that's what you're going to get <laughs> but don't expect this to be a realistic portrayal of high school romance this yeah. is very much a uh, a romanticized and uh, heightened version of such. So for those who've never seen Greece, uh, and it's it's possible because Debbie hadn't. Um, <laughs> the, the the plot runs thus: uh, uh, a guy named Danny Zuko and a girl named Son Sandy Olson. Olson, apparently, one of the the many Olson, the the clan Olson. She's their mum. <laughs> I am Sandra D of the clan Olson, um, <laughs> and I am immortal. <laughs> So they meet each other when they're on vacation and they kind of canoodle a bit on the beach, but nothing too heavy. And uh, 
Uh, she, she clearly wants it to be sort of this lovely romantic memory, and he clearly wants her to put out, but he doesn't push her too hard. But no, 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 you're getting ahead of yourself here, because none of this is evident in the opening part of the, the Real? film. No, she says, Danny, don't spoil it, because he's getting all handsy. He's, oh, yeah, okay, fair point. <laughs> but, yeah, See, here's where I tell Sharon about her favourite movie. She, <laughs> but it's your your formative movie. Sandy is Australian, yep. and her family are staying in this. Right? Okay. Can somebody just help me out with this one, by the way? Because I keep seeing in all the extras that this is set in a suburb of Chicago. Yes. Which is how far from the nearest beach? Not I mean, very, she moved um, she because moved. they have Lake Michigan mm. right there on the east side of Chicago. Oh, okay, so oh, they have beaches. Enough. It's just beaches, not on the ocean, but on uh, on the lake. Which Great Lakes look a lot like oceans. Okay, mm. fair um, enough. When okay. you're standing on the shore, yeah. I assumed that Danny and she had both ended up on vacation in the same place, and then by strange cosmic chance she had then moved to his hometown mm. and gone to his high school. Nah, she's staying here through the summer holiday right. and then um, he's local at this point. Because otherwise, how... So Danny did... didn't go anywhere? No. Okay. Okay. That's that's not the way I've, I've read He probably anyway. got a job working at a beach resort for the yeah, summer. Mm. He got a Baywatch job. Yeah, something like that. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but... Uh... That, one, that one weird season of Saved by the Bell. Yeah. yeah, yeah. He's... Johnny from Dirty Dancing. Or Judge Reinhold yeah. from uh, Fast Times. Yes. Just shoveling, yeah. scraping shrimp. Yeah. I actually really like the touch that she's Australian. That wasn't part of the intention, but from the sounds of it, they were very giving on the actual set. The uh, This was based on an existing musical, and there's various things that were taken out or changed or altered, but Olivia Newton-John was like, oh, I'm, I'm Australian. I hope that doesn't make any difference. And they're like, yeah, just, just be Australian. We'll make Sandy Australian. And it really works because she's totally out of her depth. Mm, absolutely. Had, yeah. Am I right in thinking John Travolta specifically asked for her oh. after they'd cast yes, yes. him? He he requested her as the leading lady, oh. and then when she test screened for it, she was worried that she wouldn't be good enough. Right. Yes. So basically, this is almost Travolta's baby. Like uh, Paramount were like, yeah. we loved Saturday Night Fever. M make us a film. <laughs> and Travolta was like, <laughs> yeah, I'm rocking and rolling and whatnot, and we'll have this director and this girl here. Yeah, and uh, he has, yeah. like, in his pocket notes, goal one, get off with Olivia Newton-John. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> okay. But no, it's, uh, I mean, Travolta was coming off of Saturday Night Fever, yeah. which was an enormous hit and a phenomenal film. Mm. Uh, he already had a lot of cachet as Vinnie Barbarino. He had played Duty Off-Broadway, Already, oh, so he was so, familiar with the show, which is kind of ironic because the guy yeah. playing Kanicki ended up playing Danny on Broadway over and over again after that. Yep. Yeah. Um, but yeah, uh, Grease is the word, of course, was made for the film. Mm. Oh, that right. was not an original mm. one. Okay. Um, yeah. They asked Frankie Avalon to do to make the song, but they said you can either make the song or be in the movie. And Frankie Avalon was like, "I want to be in the movie," so yeah. that's why he's doing Beauty School Beauty Dropout School and yeah. Barry Gibb. Did Grease is the word, which I adore because everything about Barry Gibb, everything that he writes, walks. Yeah. Staying Alive is easily the best strutting song ever written. <laughs> but even uh, but even uh, some of the slower Bee Gees songs like uh, Rest Your Love on Me or... How uh, Deep Is Your Love? How yeah, Deep Is Your Love? I was yeah, thinking all of those walk. They just demand to be snapped to. Mm. Yeah, and that's because there's a very strong... 
uh, first beat on them. And that's because, I mean, they're dancing tunes. But even then, one of the cool things about uh, Grease is the Word about a lot of Gibb productions is that that first beat is always the strong beat, even when it doesn't make sense in the phrase. Mm. So, like, if you look at ABBA, if you look at, like, Dancing Queen, it's, you can dance, you can jive. Mm. It's always that, it's always the beginning of that phrase rather than the beginning of the measure. Yeah, Whereas the emphasis makes sense musically, even if it doesn't make sense lyrically. So it yeah. musically encourages hand, you to make a large movement and then follow that up with a couple of small ones. Mm. Exactly. So, Whoa. I mean, in this case, you know, I saw my problems and I see the light. We've got a loving thing. we, we got to feed, feed it right. It right. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, and also, I love that it starts with that... Um, that trumpet and then those trumpet runs Mm -hmm. and it feels like a kid getting up for school and then running out the door and then trying to be very cool. Mm. So you have the trump that big as an alarm clock and then like he's running downstairs Mm -hmm. and then suddenly it cools off like, Oh, I see people here. I need to relax. Mm. Sort of like that joke of somebody runs onto the stage and then pretends like they were just stro- they were just strolling the entire time. Yeah. There's a lot of funk to this song, that that feel to the dun 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 so that kind of like bounce yeah. to it. Yeah. yeah. And I love yeah. the it's- way it segues into the school bell at the end. Mm. Yes. Okay, so um we meet then huh, the boys, uh, the T-Birds in this, who uh, I think I was a little irritated by with by as, as a kid, and now as an adult, I'm like, fuck you guys. I hate all three of you, you rotten boys. Uh, they're Sonny, Doody, and Putsy, mm. and they have a fifth of a personality between them. They do. I, what I really like, though, is that this sets you up with two sets of, of Greek choruses, basically. Yeah, you got the boys girl and the girls. chorus and the boy chorus. And which one's better? The girl chorus. Of course. The girl chorus. Um, <laughs> you get the impression that the girl chorus is being honest mm-hmm. and the boy chorus is straight up lying. It's all about... Well, the they actually endeavour, as we'll get into, uh, to actually flesh out the uh, pink ladies and give them all a little bit of a character mm. and they don't really do that with well, any the of them. Like, Kinnicky gets some. A little bit. They are very superficial, but I was about to say, one of the things I like about this setup is that there's, there's a lot of visual storytelling that goes on in terms terms of like their costume like the fact that Putsy never wears his T-bird jacket he's in the gang he clearly has one my guess is it's way too big for him because he's a skinny little dude I think he left it at a bus station <laughs> quite possibly <laughs> but um but yeah there's there's loads of, of sort of visual giveaways to their character because they don't talk about themselves much at all and even when they do it's in this sort of very again they're broad brush strokes but it's it's sort of this these are guys who are not good for each other they are really really not healthy for each other and even in the 70s the film knows this and Mm -hmm. it's it's making it clear that this sort of elbow your friend and tease him when he's down and all that kind of thing is really not good. Yeah, no, the the story of Greece that basically goes on is the boys are posturing so much that they never allow themselves to be genuine, except Mm. for a few times when it slips through, which we will definitely talk about. Whereas the girls... Kind of, they've got an attitude, but they are really ready to sort of tell each other about their own misgivings. Generally speaking, yeah. The exception to that is Rizzo, Mm. and she's got one foot in the boys' camp. Mm -hmm. And that's 
a, a big part of her character, but it is explored, and that's kind of one of the yeah. points of her as a side. So story. the reason that the boys are not characterised is because they won't let themselves be. Indeed, but you but it yeah. sets up the status, the respective status of these these five main characters, the T Birds, really neatly. So you've got the three chorus boys who are all sort of roughly on par with each other. None of them are standing head and shoulders above the others. I kind of feel like Putsy is the bottom of the heap, like everyone ditches on him. Yes, yeah. although we established that Doody was the worst. No, no, no. Sonny is the worst. Son- okay, so Sonny, Sonny is, is the worst. worst. Doody's like, eh, Putsy's kind of okay. But he's, like I said, I think he's the one who gets Putsy's the on. one who's like nice to Jan. Yes, he is. Yeah. He is nice to Jan. I think there's more to you than just fat. Thank you. Yeah, he's also <laughs> the only blonde one. Mm. And I kind of got the impression that there's a very it's sort a bit of younger. Italian-American vibe going on amongst the others that Putsy is not part of. Mm. And that actually might explain why he's kind of sticking out. No, he's out an Iowa farm he's boy. Like, he's the he Tom Hagen of the T-Birds. Yeah, <laughs> indeed. <laughs> actually, then, I'm Irish. I'm German-Irish. <laughs> <laughs> but then you've got um, kind of Kinnicky comes in and the instinct... That'd be the sunny. Think, well, yeah. Ironic. <laughs> Sonny Corleone, not Sonny, forget it. Yeah, no, I know you. <laughs> um, but yeah, Kaniki comes in and he is immediately. Ooh, Pacino was Danny. <laughs> status wise, he is head and shoulders above the others. And all of this, when I'm talking about status here, by the way, I am talking about the very regimented Hollywood movie high school hierarchy, which terrifies those of us who have never actually been in an American high school mm. and is effectively like a kind of scaled down version of actual American hierarchy. Mm. So um, many films have, have used this dynamic yeah, since then. I, I'm thinking Mean Girls here. Yeah, Ten absolutely. Things I Hate About You immediately sprang yeah. to mind when this, we were watching. This idea that there are layers of status in a high school and if you step outside them, oh, God help you. Mm. Um, but, Those are the so, cowboys. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. This one, they, it does tweak things a little bit, which we'll, we'll get into later. But when Kinnick is introduced, like your instinct is to think, well, this is clearly the leader. He's taller than all of these three. He's mean. He's, Mean, and he's got this way of standing, legs apart, you know, sort of... He's kind of Peter Pan. He is a bit. But, oh, he's definitely got a Peter Pan thing going yeah. on. But oh, my God, they're the Lost Boys. and he's he's the yeah. se- He's Rufio. <laughs> he is. <laughs> <laughs> the second in command. And then Danny's yeah. the one who goes off and flies away from Neverland. Oh, Whoa, my God. Ca- oh, good Lord. With Wendy. But, but Holy sh... There's this very particular conversation. This that movie lacks has, a Captain Hook. It does, yeah. <laughs> uh, that Kinnicky has with the boys, where he's talking about, like, because they're saying, oh, you know, how was your summer and what were you doing and all the rest of it. These guys have obviously just been hanging around doing not very much. And Kinnicky's like, no, I've been working. <laughs> Unlike yeah. you guys. I think we theorised that um, after Greece, uh, Sonny, Putsy, and. Um, Doody. Doody end up working at the same factory and the foreman is Kinnicky because he got them their got jobs. The job this and then yeah. we said, yeah, but who gets fired first? And Sharon and I both said, Sonny. Sonny. Because <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he's always drunk. He spikes the vending machine. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so Summer Nights. This is one of those songs that even if you fucking hate musicals and music and teenagers, and boys and girls, you'd still kind of like on some level. It's a really kind of, like, enjoyable, full-throated, you know, very physically performed, 
fun kind of lampooning of teenagers and specifically the kind of um, like d- subdivisions of, of uh, you know, off into girls and boy groups mm-hmm. uh, because they haven't yet reached the maturity where they can intermingle. And you look at these, you know, kids played by actors in their late 20s at this stage, yeah? And, yeah. and it's like, you should really be mingling by now and like hanging out without... Um, but one of the, the praises that I saw about this movie is that these teenagers are interested in each other. Mm. And that's one of the things that definitely comes across and probably keeps it that level of classic because when you're a you know a kid or a teenager and you watch it, you kind of want to like see something where boys and girls and if other less heteronormative ways of doing things uh, kind of come together and and um, form their own path you know but the i mean yeah. the uh, the whole girls over here boys over there and and them being interested in each other but not knowing how to interact with each other i think again it kind of underpins this whole being set in the 50s when society was doing its level best to keep these two groups apart from each other yeah 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 just uh, just a context musically here in 58 we are 2 years out from Elvis bringing um, what was it, bringing rock and roll to white people, basically, mm. like uh, these these kids would have been sophomores in high school when Elvis hit Milton Berle at the beginning of the year, and then Steve Allen, and then three times on Ed Sullivan by the end of '56. Right. So and, Rizzo's little reference yeah. to him uh, is is very much like this is happening in these weeks. Mm. Yeah. Exactly. Um, and, you know, as, as a musical, Grease is very much in a tradition that started very much with Hair in 67 mm. and I think culminated the next year with Rocky Horror in uh, this very experimental musical phase where they were trying different styles and different ways of using all Holmes? of these musical tropes, let's Tropes-y. say, mm. to tell a story about a time that feels authentic and it's the authenticity of Greece that I think makes it stick and the reason why Greece 2 failed so miserably. Mm. Mm. This I think is one of the best examples. There are others that are also really good. I would say Hairspray is is possibly one of the latest examples of this. Mm-hmm. But the the whole point of the musical underpinnings of the Buffy the Vampire Slayer once uh, episode once more with feeling is that you can't you can't express what you really feel but if you're in a musical you have to it gets dragged out of you in song mm-hmm. and i think that kind of storytelling not all musicals do that Hashtag #not all musicals but yeah. i think this is this is one of the best examples of the kind of musical that does and that uses well, yeah. that as its storytelling Be- background because the boys specifically are very evasive about yeah. their emotional uh, engagement yeah, absolutely. specifically danny and it's um it's worth noting Kaniki. by the way that apart from danny none of them get solo songs yeah they yeah. get Grease Lightning, but that's an ensemble piece. Yeah, because they're, they're, yeah. they're afraid to do anything that's not boyish. Yeah. Whereas uh, Sandy, yeah. Rizzo and Frenchie all get their all own get songs. All get their own songs. Yeah. yeah. Uh, we don't necessarily need to talk, or, you know, at, at ridiculous length about Summer Nights, but it is, it's, it's, 
It's a nice uh, way of illustrating the, um, you know, the boys are interested in this side of things, and it just seems to mostly revolve around putting out, and the girls are interested in this side of things, which seem to revolve around status and, you know, does he have a car? Does he, like... Yeah, I mean... Is he good prospects? Yeah, it's, it's kind it's, of feeding it's into that idea. It's Jane Austen. Yeah, it, yeah. basically, yes. Yeah. Um, Jane Austen with hair wax. Um, but <laughs> that's that's a way to uh, in, improve uh, Pride and Prejudice. That that timeless classic. Have set it in the fifth. Mr. Darcy singing to a bunch of other uh, you know, well-to-do men of the time, and then like you know, did she put up a fight? Yeah. But, but this it's, it's worth noting that this fixation with sex that they all seem to have. It seems pretty apparent that none of them. You are say fixation as though it. that's unnatural for a team. No, 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 I'm not saying it is, but but the point being, they're all talking about it constantly, but they don't seem to be doing it. Mm. It's, it and when they do, they uh, kind of they uh, don't want to talk about it. Yeah, and it creates yeah. a lot of crisis and drama. Mm, indeed, but the uh, the the whole sort of artificial. Uh, sexual politics and artificial gender politics that is is set out so neatly in the high school backdrop. It's quite appealing to me that this was made in the 70s just as you're coming to the tail end of second wave feminism. So a lot of these uh, um, girl-boy tropes and and the, the status, the, the relative... Um, uh, approval levels that the girls in particular get to, they would have made this entirely in the knowledge of how outdated and, and uh, deconstructed this all needed to be in the late 70s.
It's also the whitest film you ever did see. There's properly is, and what you keep saying about rock and roll, Caru. There, is, I was watching out carefully for any like a little nod or something to that. And you get a guy who's basically Marvin Berry from uh, Back to the Future, who's at the dance. He's not even the lead singer of that's, that's Marvin. Berry. Yeah, uh, and okay, so he's in the background playing a guitar and like just smiling when all the uh, white kids are doing their, their singing but it immediately then a white guy grabs the mic and starts singing if you've just seen Ma Rainey's Black Bottom and I have it's really hard to watch Grease without thinking oh god well there was a there was a yeah. point it's so white that there was a point where I actually thought was Chicago still relatively segregated at this point, like in terms of school districts and yeah. things? But there yes. are a couple of black kids at, at the fair at the end, and I think one at the dance. Yes, but it's like, where's Waldo? Yeah. That's very much the way that it would have been in 58, in, again, musically, mm. just coming from it. I'm surprised that the band was mostly white, even at that point. Yeah. I mean, previous to that, rock and roll people were Little Richard, mm. were um, Chubby Checker, or not Chubby Checker, uh, Chuck Berry, uh, even Chubby Checker to an extent, yeah. Um, and you had these black artists who were very much the pioneers of the genre um, that, you know, was eventually brought into a white mainstream, starting with a DJ named Alan Freed, a white DJ who really liked their stuff and he was running a um a classical music program on the radio in cleveland mm. and hanging out at the record shop and started playing these other black artists and he actually was the one who threw what is considered to be the first rock concert the mood dog coronation ball yeah see that reminds me of uh, a film that's already been mentioned that yeah uh... Hairspray by John Waters is a film that actually addresses this racial mm. imbalance, and that's thematic yes, the whole way through. Yeah. And uh, I'd say, like, if you're going to watch Grease, definitely also watch Hairspray. It's They're both yeah. great films, uh, but uh, uh, Hairspray feels a lot more truthful to how the world actually kind of was back yeah. then. This is, by the way, the John Waters version uh, with Ricky Lake, not <laughs> the remake. The remake starring John Travolta. Sorry, John Travolta yeah. Although I actually yeah. quite like the remake as well. Yeah, it's not bad, but the original is great. Yeah. Yeah, but I, I, I love the music and the musical version. Yeah. Absolutely. Um, okay, so uh, after basically the, the, the premise is this. When uh, Danny sees Sandy, he very briefly goes, Sandy, you're here! Oh, my God! And, like, he's so... Oh, my God! And he's so <laughs> happy to see her and nakedly 
cheerful and, and open and innocent and, and like all thoughts of like, I'm going to grope this girl just disappear from him. And then the moment he turns around, he sees his boys all staring at him incredulously and kind of, a, what's got into the boss? And yeah. then he's like, oh, you know, it ain't nothing, baby. I'm just rocking and rolling and whatnot. And it's like, oh, oh, you're going to be a dick around your friends. <laughs> Which is, is, it's a neat way of showing two kids, wow, sometimes boys are bad just because they are too afraid to not be, uh, they're too afraid to to be themselves in front of their friends. They have to be a version of themselves that is considered safe. Yeah. Well, this, this struck me with this scene in particular, how weird the feedback loop of... Uh, behaviour control is with mm. the T-Birds. It's there with the Pink Ladies as well, and, and believe me, the behaviour control that goes on amongst girls is... I could tell you some stories. But the, uh, the, with, the, with the boys, it's like they're looking to Danny to see how to behave, but Danny decides how to behave based on the feedback he's yeah. getting from them. If he started going, hey, boys, we're going to be doing this from now on, we're going to be wearing Viking helmets, they'd be like, I guess I better get a Viking helmet to be like the boss. <laughs> we're going to be eating salad. We're going to be talking about our feelings. Okay. <laughs> because they're afraid to not do what, what the, Danny says. What the alpha yeah. dog in yeah. this scenario says. Yeah. And again, we I... I dispute and refute all of this whole alpha beta shit which has been disproved but, in the but years this is since. the thing he is ostensibly leading and yet he mm. is being trammeled and controlled by, by those, what's gone yeah. before and what, how they expect him to behave and this is why nothing ever fucking changes and Sandy <laughs> is initially thrilled to see him then as soon as he starts acting like a dick she's like oh no everything that I thought was true isn't true at all oh bloody hell and then she retreats disillusioned and yes, is sad thrown her pom-poms at him and she's sad for a lot of the movie like yeah. from from that point onwards she has brief moments of oh you know what Danny maybe you are actually kind of a nice no you aren't a nice guy you're trying to grope me again <laughs> oh that one will keep coming back up again but most of the time like Sandy basically gets into a whirlwind of feeling like she thought something Something like the hopelessly devoted. It's a sad, mournful song that basically says, I am kind of stuck in this well, scenario. Here's, here's the thing, and Debbie, you can give your yeah, please, perspective Debbie. on this as well, coming from a, a similarly gendered position as me. Um, Sandy has nothing going on. Mm. Apart from Danny, apart from the prospects of love and romance that she... I mean, she dallies briefly with the um, uh, the quarterback, Tom Chisholm, as well. But the apart from the whole hooking up in a relationship and trying to make something last, she's got nothing else to do with her time. Her family is clearly fairly wealthy, and she is never really seen to do anything particularly academic at school. She vaguely gets involved with some cheerleading and proves to be not very good at it. She's trying to find who she is. But she's not looking very hard. That's, mm. that's kind of my point. She's if listless. You, if you look, compare her to the other girls, Frenchie's got career ideas popping in and out of her head all the time. All right, she can never really commit to one channel, but it's there. Rizzo has a whole self-exploration thing going on that everybody seems to disapprove of, but fuck it, she's going to do it anyway. Marty's courting a dozen GIs by mail. Yes. 
And and Jan, Jan is wants to be in commercials where she of, plays a giant beaver. I'm not sure what's happening <laughs> yeah. with Jan, but she seems, generally speaking, like a fairly nice person yeah. who has um, a, a fairly safe idea of who she is. And, mm. and at the moment, that's not really being challenged particularly much. Whereas Sandy's like basically Sandy's in the middle heroine. of, but she's in an existential crisis. Yeah, and, exactly. But yeah, the the whole film kind of we never actually let Debbie speak. Tevi, <laughs> do you want to weigh in at least at this point? <sighs> I, I think... <clears throat> it's interesting I, you say that, so let's... <laughs> sorry. <laughs> I'm so, so sorry. Carry on, please. I think that, Sharon, I think <clears throat> you're absolutely right. That yeah, she doesn't really seem to have much else going on. And I suspect... I, I wonder if part of that is on purpose as a comment on just how fixated media was at the time for women and being in their place at the time i mean the 50s mm-hmm. not as much the 70s um and the fact that so much of the time and a lot of the time still to a large degree that you know that is that is supposed to be a woman's number one pursuit in life is getting a man and i think i think number one that that's their comment on it, given that Sandy doesn't really have anything else going on. And number two, the fact that a lot of times as a teenage girl, the emotions are very heightened and it does feel like, you know, the end of the world, you know, it's either the best day or the worst day. Mm. Yeah. And when you, when you like someone, that's all you fixate on. Mm -hmm. I think a lot of the time. And I think, I think that kind of a combo of those two things, I'd say. I was going to say, like, for the first one, it's get you a man who looks at you the way you look at Better Homes and Garden magazine. (laughs) (laughs) Jesus. I mean, full-on first episode of WandaVision here, I'm thinking. Mm, Or indeed somewhere that's green. Yeah. But, I mean, that's... We were debating, like, what? where are they going to at the end of this film? Like, what's... Like, this fantasy they're flying off into in the not real, but the dream version of Grease Lightning... Mm. Um, at, well, we can get to that at the end, but there's almost a, <laughs> they don't know what's in store for them, sort of feel about that, which, and especially since it follows on from a song that always annoyed me when I was a kid, that we go together, like, because I was like, you don't, you, 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 we'll always be together, you won't, you're high school children. And then I you realized... Just as, the end of the song. <laughs> I realized as a, an adult, I'm like, Oh, the songwriters know this. Mm. This is the childish delusion. Absolutely. That you're going to basically hang out with your high school friends for the rest of your life. And the other thing is as well, it's not just the fact that they're teenagers, because there is this sort of, this need for immediacy that runs through many of the characters. I think Rizzo and Frenchie are probably the two best examples of it. But this sort of, I want the thing to happen now Mm. because otherwise it's not going to. And that is not just a comment on youth and and adolescence. That is also a comment on uh, wealth and lack thereof. And this is not a rich area. There are not many kids at this school who look as well off as Sandy does. You pointed out that when they go to the uh, the malt shop, 
um, Sandy and uh, uh, Danny sit down to like a meal and they both have burgers and, and shakes and things. The rest of them like get an Eskimo pie and a knife yeah. to share. Exactly. And like, you know, I, I can have a fry and you can have a fry and mm-hmm. well, yeah. I'll share these fries. Yeah, Frenchie's thing about beauty school and, and the other careers that she sort of thinks about it's it's obvious that she is a girl who is going at some point to have to support herself she's not likely to just marry somebody wealthy yeah the the what despite what frankie avalon tells her yes (laughs) what the movie seems to like be almost lamenting in retrospect was that girls were given very little in the way of career choices there were um frenchie sings a song about beauty school that wherein she just allows herself to give in to her own misgivings about failing at beauty school because she did she just fail she she start, she drops out of high school yeah. um, because she's been accepted onto this hairdressing course yeah. and then it's it doesn't start off very well mm. and so she tries to quit that too because she's just she doesn't deal with failure very well they point out that the only skills that she could basically rely upon were typing beauty school to be a beautician and waitress it's just to illustrate the smorgasbord of choice available to women. And I, I realized this watching WandaVision uh, yesterday, <clears throat> that, um, and no spoilers for WandaVision, that uh, Vision looks exactly like, especially the cartoon version of him in episode two's intro sequence, the Bewitched um, parody, yeah. exactly like men were supposed to be in that world then. And I realized, fuck, there was no room in American society for any other man who could do anything. It was literally, you have a suit and tie, you go to the office, you work for the boss, maybe you have the boss over, you impress him with a meal, you get that promotion. That is you, that is your life, there is no variation outside this very specific, this is the cog we want you to be in the system. It's so terrifying. No. Do we produce, do we sell or buy anything? No and no. It doesn't matter. I immediately then thought of Lloyd Dobler and how yes. the kids in the 80s I are wanna like, I don't want to be... Or process anything. <laughs> I don't yeah. want to be this 50s version of manhood. Mm. It took that long for kids to start going, maybe there's something else. But um, obviously, you know, we've got the 60s counterculture where they, they were deliberately acting out against this, we are going to make you just be this one thing. But if you look at the T-Birds, they have almost no hope of, of fitting into what America would have wanted them to be as men. But there's a very particular reason why that cubicle mouse, well, it wasn't even cubicle mouse at that point, but that sort of, that, that office ideal was the thing in the 50s because it was coming off the back of uh, most jobs being manufacturing or mines or something or no jobs being available because the friggin depression well that too but but fundamentally it's if you want something better for your kids than you had for yourself you want them to not have to do a physical job that is poor for their health that is uh, you know potentially going to lead to them dying young because mm. they've got lungs full of coal dust or whatever um, so get them into a nice safe office where they never have to lift anything heavier than a pen was an aspirational choice something also occurred to me while you were talking about the actual setup um, and we mentioned this on our end of year roundup because we were talking uh, briefly about Francis Ford Coppola's The Outsiders and it's a it's a movie about teenagers. I think it's in the fifties, isn't it? And it is, yeah. Yeah, 
I commented, I didn't see a single friggin' adult in this film. It's a weird friggin' children of the corn world where there's no parents and just these boys and girls, are, well, just boys in that film, mm. are on their yeah. own with no parental support. Greece is the fucking same. You never see anyone's parents. It's amazing that this film, the only adults they've got are the principal and the coach. And the uh, shop teacher, Miss Shop teacher, yeah, yeah, yes. the auto shop teacher. Very true. They have that. Uh, and Blanche probably counts. Honestly, I when I was a kid, I thought that, that shop teacher was just a, a mechanic that they knew. <laughs> <laughs> that, that that's the level of athletics. Uh, sorry, athletic support. That's the level yeah. of adult support that they actually get in this film. It's very it much very we're teenagers but and we're on our own they and do. we're going to make our own world. But they also raise an eyebrow too because I don't know if you remember this but when we first meet Miss Murdoch it's in the opening sequence mm-hmm. and they're talking about the kids that are going to be in their classes that year and she makes a comment about Kenicky and the fact that she's got him again and he's been here longer than she has. He keeps getting held back. So he's 32 years old. Quite likely. <laughs> <laughs> How do you do, fellow kids? Yeah, Jeff Conway was actually just playing his regular age. Okay. Yeah. So that's like, um, uh, what's his freaking name? Ah, uh, the Simpsons, the kid with the, the giant kid. Oh, Kearney's. Kearney. Um, oh, Kearney, yeah. Yeah. Like, he, he mentioned, uh, you know, that uh, it's a bicentennial coming up and no one's going to remember that except for perhaps Kearney. Those tall ships really lifted the country's spirits after Watergate. And it's like, this kid's been here since the mid-70s. Um, but, uh, I mean, yeah, that, that ultimately, that feeling of of like there's a there's a kind of a panic of what awaits them outside of high school and they kind of don't want to confront it so th- that's what that song at the end is almost going not going to think about it not going to think about it la 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 you I mean, can't get me life if i keep hanging around and singing again it's kind of nodded to when uh, they put when they're at the fair at the end and the t-birds can't hit the coach with the custard pies for squat hmm. because they skipped all the gym classes and so they don't know how to pitch and uh, he the coach says you just come back to summer school and they are infuriated by that concept here are the two choices for the kids at high school at this point you either get stuck into a repetitive loop where you keep coming back and doing high school again and again and again and you do it forever or you leave that safe zone and god alone knows what's out there yeah yeah and Uh, i mean that even again, going, it starts with that too. Grease is the word is all about trying to be who we are and mm. trying to find ourselves in all of this. Yeah, and I it's think it's very something pretty hippie. <laughs> yeah, very much so. One of the lines that was in the play originally and was cut out in an early, early draft was um, I think it was Sonny saying, I like life, I ain't no beatnik. Ah. Yeah, being able to find who they are, it, it, I think there's a marked contrast with the only adults in the uh, movie and in the show being just teachers. Mm, yeah. The principal is a principal and she is a principal and that's it. Mm. They um, are authority figures, but their purpose is to get these kids yeah. ready for the outside world. And that's that was yeah. one of the fundamental things about the whole 50s teenager movement was this is the first time in history when people of this age have actually had the space and the opportunity to question what their parents have got lined up for them. Well, this car is automatic. It's systematic. It's hydromatic. 
Why's the greased lightning? Cut up and chrome plated rods, oh yeah. I'll get the money, I'll keep you get the money. With a four speed on the floor, never waiting at the door. You know that ain't no shit, we ever get last in ten years. Lightning, go, 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 Okay, my next question is going to be quite expansive, and I think Sharon could probably talk for about an hour. Uh, why do you like Rizzo so much? Who's the best character, and why is it Rizzo? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Rizzo is the only is the only person in this musical who really gets to have a legitimate internal struggle, mm-hmm. and. Honestly, if it were any actress other than Stockard Channing, I'm not sure if they could pull off portraying that in such a way that she is both a jerk and likable at the same time, Mm. so that when it comes to her solo song, it is so earned. Yeah. Agreed. She's mm. the Tony Stark of this school. Yeah. That, yeah. that fundamentally, and we, we did touch on this briefly while we were watching it, that song, There Are Worse Things I Could Do, that is effectively Rizzo's I Want song. Mm. And she doesn't get it until the end. Whereas Sandy gets her I Want song, Hopelessly Devoted, much nearer the beginning. Yeah. But Sandy's I Want song is I Want a Dude Who May or May Not Even Exist, which is a version of Danny that's actually like the version in my head. And Rizzo's singing with more of a kind of a a world weariness Mm. of an an understanding of that she's not really allowed to be who she is in this school. Uh, And even if she does sort of grab this version of herself that feels genuine, with both hands, she's still ill thought of. Circumstance are still going to shaft her at every available turn. Mm. Debbie. Uh, just that um, you're talking about they both got I want songs and mm. it's it's kind of they're almost mirror versions of each other. That, mm-hmm. mm. you know, Sandra D is kind of the ideal, supposed ideal of what society wanted mm. at the time.
is kind of the actual woman who like she sees this with clear eyes mm. and she knows what's expected of her and she's trying she wants to reject it but at the same time she kind of wants she wants that she wants belonging and she wants you know she, she wants the security and all that but she knows that she probably will never have it yeah i i i i'd forgotten the correlation there, but you, I, I, I feel like I'm now realizing that that song, Sandra D, that um, uh, Rizzo sings, isn't even really about Sandy. It's about the fact that society wants her Rizzo to be like Sandy, and she's refuting that and going, "I don't wanna." Mm. Yeah, she even mm. has yeah. a, a, an explicit line about it. I'm gonna get my kicks while I'm still young enough to get them. As she's mm. climbing out the window to go and, and drive off with the boys. Um, but she's the the fundamental thing that I think this keeps coming down to is that the the high school status structure and the hierarchy of what society uh, is was in the 50s it, it slowly has been tinkering around the edges of since then is that it will only let you be one thing mm. There are various stereotypes that you can choose, but you better choose one and then you stick to it. You can yep. be a, a yeah. cowboy, a T-bird, a plastic. Mm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But if you or if Sid you Caesar are a, as a um, gym teacher. Yeah, or a mm. skater boy. You can be uh, that. Uh, I mean, high school hierarchies are actually, as you say, they're, they're frightening because it's kind of like divergent. I don't know if anyone remembers that now extinct series, but uh, effectively this this girl is joining high school in this uh, dystopian society. And it's like, you can join any of these five cliques. And like, as it turns out, she's a bit of all of them. And it's like, oh my goodness me, she doesn't fit into any of our cliques. What are we to do? But if you look at the the thing about teenagers now that infuriates and terrifies people who were teenagers in the 50s it's the fact that they have so many multiples of identity that crash into each other and conflict with each and other and are being rethought and every day exactly and and just this whole thing about you you get to choose who you are but by multiple aspects not just pick one gang and then stick with them because you've got all of these intersecting elements of yourself that you have to 
well, you don't have to, but you can identify and then engage with to a greater or lesser extent. There is no you're rich and pretty, therefore you go over with these people and wait for some right guy to come and marry you and you're poor and vaguely attractive so you go off and sleep with who you want to but we aren't going to let you then come and marry the right dude Mm -hmm. bloody hell I thought we were just going to talk about Greece we're deconstructing American society as we are wont to do yeah (laughs) we do that (laughs) and generational clashes there's, we, we can come back to Rizzo if, if you like. There's a, the, what she faces is also a much more grown-up situation than any of the rest of them. It's a, a, effectively a pregnancy scare that mercifully resolves itself without having to actually get into dirty dancing territory. Indeed. It's enough to get kids to... Uh, you said you watched a version from TV where they didn't even show her and Kaniki canoodling in the car, a condom breaking, and then going, fuck it. Yeah. And you, so, you don't see any of that. Basically, so there's no cause and effect. No, the version I saw, you see them. <laughs> the, you do see the beginning bit of the. Did they kiss with tongues? Is that how she got a baby in her? You'd see two backs rocking up and down in the. Back oh, the, of the beast! Car. That's it. I didn't even know who it was <laughs> until uh, until Leo turns up and backs into them, and then they do the thing where he's like, "I'll give you seventy-five cents for the whole car, including your oh, chick." Oh, I've put him down as Hank Scorpion. I yes. didn't know his name was Leo. I know his name is Leo. <laughs> Um, but I only know that because I checked the credits. Hey, I'm Hank Scorpion. I'm the leader of the Scorpions. You want us to disresemble the place? <laughs> so, but it skips from this. All they did was sort of vaguely kiss in the back of the car to the interaction that she has with Marty in the bathrooms at the drive-in, where the, the, she, uh, why is she called I, Marty? I, I know, immediately went McFly. I know. <laughs> yeah. Marty, you're Do being you such have a square. Any idea how long it took me to get the typewriter joke? What, oh, what's that? I feel like a defective typewriter. What? Yes, I love I that I skipped one. a period. Oh, there we go. Yeah. Because they, um, we don't call them period in the UK. We call them full stop. Yes. Yeah. Indeed. <laughs> that is true. But yeah, so that whole bit made no sense stop to every me. Month? Mm. What, so what you think... And you're, we said, you're PG? You're That's PG. a certificate in the UK. I'm, a, I'm at this point a five, six-year-old in the UK. I thought they meant tea. Uh. <laughs> And your parents weren't going to translate any of this yeah, for you, so, were they? So the, and then I, I spent the whole back end of the movie thinking that Kaniki was pissed off with Rizzo because she'd been mean to Sandy, mm. and that's what There Are Worse Things I Could Do is all about, her being mean to Sandy. And then when she gets off the thing and says, it was a false alarm, I'm not pregnant, I was like... You were pregnant? What? <laughs> what, what did I miss? <laughs> and God. this is why you should never make your children watch the chopped-to-pieces versions of movies that they put on TV. Yeah, but in 1983, a VHS of Greece would have cost £799. Pounds. Yes, <laughs> and also, we didn't have a VHS inflation. machine. <laughs> like I said, small black and white TV that did not have a VHS plug. But yeah, the, the, the TV version of this actually cut out like the first... Maybe 17 seconds of Grease Lightning. Like it's, oh, most of Grease Lightning is gone. Everything that they... Every time they say pussy wagon, that's gone. Yeah. And you would know that ain't no shit. We'll be getting lots of tit in Grease Lightning. Here, I'll simulate it. For some reason... 
reason, though, I seem to think that the um, we are supreme, the chicks or cream. That was intact. Yeah. <laughs> I'm guessing nobody knew what that meant. <laughs> Another T reference. Stands to reason. <laughs> <laughs> anyway. Um, uh, we can talk uh, about the, the hand job song. Sorry, the hand jive song that uh, they do at the uh, dance. Come on. When you're a young lad... You're like, okay, born to hand there job. There is so baby. much sex and innuendo in this movie. But, I uh, see, I put the evil dancers, and I was like, what What do Cha-Cha de Gregorio and Hank Scorpion actually want by turning up at this dance? <laughs> right. Right. Cause trouble. It, yeah. <laughs> I think it, they wanted to be is, on TV was part of it. That was part that of it. That makes sense. There, there is, it is implied that Cha-Cha is evil because she will steal people's boyfriends and sleep with anybody mm-hmm. um, yeah. I never liked that reading because even at a very young age I was very uncomfortable with slut shaming mm. um, however I would especially say... since there's an entire song in this movie devoted to the fact that slut shaming exactly. really hurts yeah. so, the best song from the best character so the way I always and Stockard Channing is a national treasure yes yeah, she bloody is yeah. <laughs> She um she got this gig. Now that I think about it, in terms of timing, she was going to play Lois Lane. If you remember, she actually auditioned against yep. Christopher Seriously, Reeve. Seriously, but she did Grease and, instead. And um, she didn't get the part. They went with Margot Kidder, yeah. and she went off and did Grease. So, yeah. yeah. Okay. I, I kind of, which I think, I don't know. To me, seems like a the better choice because I can't. I have a hard time imagining her as Lois Lane. Hmm. I don't have a hard time imagining it, but Margot Kidder knocked it out of the park. So, mm-hmm. and she knocked it out of the park here. So, I think this all worked out for the best. Yeah, yeah. Like well. you know, it's it's like uh, Will Smith almost being Neo. I, I'm glad that didn't happen. You're glad he got Wild Wild West instead. <laughs> I'm glad that. That's Keanu what you meant, right? No, he he went on to be Ali, which I think. But you already know how I feel about Ali. And if you've not heard it yet, that is one of our best episodes ever. It's also my 700th podcast. Um, my interpretation on Chacha and why she's horrible was always that she is uh, ridiculously competitive and the reason that she snatches Danny away at the dance is nothing to do with wanting to get back together with him because it is implied that they used to have a relationship. Um, also, while we're talking of slut-shaming, Danny has been with just about every woman in this movie. Yes. Danny yeah. is... Uh, anyway. If, if Danny was female, everyone would be hating Danny. Well, if, if Danny was female, he'd be Rizzo. Um, yeah. But... <laughs> but um, but yeah, Cha-Cha is, uh, she kind of snatches him away because she's already been tapped out of the dance and she wants to win. Mm. And that was always my take on why she's the girl that you don't want to have anything to do with because yeah. she's just, she'll step all over you to get a first place. Mm. I always read her as Latina and there was always that hint of racism to it. Yeah, yeah. a little bit of that going on too. I mean, are you... Uh... Because when uh, Spielberg finally gets his West Side Story out in some form of uh, uh, viewable movie... Uh, we will be doing a West Side Story comparative show where we compare the uh, the Robert Wise original and uh, Spielberg's, and you will definitely be on that one. But can you oh. vaguely, briefly point out any correlation between Greece and West Side Story? Just while it, uh, as it pertains to Greece. Absolutely. Um, both of them are about um, teenagers trying to find their way in a world where there are very few um, adults 
of authority figures to guide them. The adult figures that are there are generally good. However, ineffectual. they are ineffective yeah. because the teenagers do not believe that they understand the struggles that they are going through. Mm. And frequently they're correct. The teenagers are correct. I think this is this how the films subject. in both cases became big hits with teenagers mm. because the films aren't saying, listen to your elders and betters. Mm. Even if... Technically, if yeah. they had in West Side Story, tragedy may have been averted. Well, yeah. But it is but on is side that, with the teenagers. There is that element of uh, you, your parents just don't know. So to you other kids all across the land, there's no need to argue. Parents just don't understand. West Side Story was a remake of Romeo and Juliet, yeah. which is the which is the er example of... Teen, dumb teenagers doing dumb things because parents don't because parents are even dumber mm. and that's very much what's going on in greece here to a smaller extent mm. you know these parents are not involved in their lives so they are trying to find their own way their own path mm. Ooh, and their authority are... figure is the social construct yeah 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 the 50s had the 50s had set up everything for them and so they are rebelling against that. You must obey the almighty social hierarchy. Pay no attention to the man behind the curtain. <laughs> yeah. The I, penis is evil. <laughs> I, I would also say that it's it, similar in the, in the commentary on class. And yeah. obviously West Side Story is much more overt mm-hmm. about that. But there is definite... Um, those... those Overtones are definitely there in Greece as well. The fact that Danny is very clearly a poor kid, mm. and Sandy is clearly a rich girl, considering her she's Australian and her parents could come to the U.S. on vacation, mm. and then decide to stay apparently <laughs> for at least a while anyway. Well, yeah. I always presume yeah, that Danny's her... going to grow up and be a mechanic someday. Sandy is going to grow up and marry rich. She's going to be a socialite. Yeah. Mm. Actually, that kind of brings us on to uh, um, the question of, like, what ultimately happens between Danny and Sandy? Because they actually spend less of the time in this movie than you'd imagine actually interacting. (laughs) They don't hang out together. They definitely don't talk. Mm. Not in a way that they actually bear their souls to each other. And, like... In, in retrospect of, of seeing movies that have followed since Greece, that feels really lacking. So this is going to come off as a criticism, and, and it is. It's, I think it's valid, which is that what happens is they go on a couple of dates where Danny is evasive and won't really talk about much of anything and seems to be kind of shifty and seems to be kind of trying to angle to, to make out with Sandy, and that's about it. He sort of gets her to wear his ring after elbowing, elbowing her in the boob, ripping it off his hand. Um, but, but the way that scene works out, he gives her his ring, and then he seems to feel entitled to then jump on her. And she says, this, you have really upset me, and leaves. And he sings himself a I'm So Confused song called Just Sandy. And this is this is the one that irritates me. Right. Because it's like, yeah. I sit and wonder why, oh, why you left me, oh, Sandy. It's like, you tried to force a make-out session she clearly wasn't into. 
This is not hard, you piece of shit. This, right, you say confused. This song, to me, is entirely a I'm horny and I didn't get any song. If you listen to the lyrics, there's... We made a start. Yeah. But now I'm hard and there's nowhere to put it. Exactly! Yeah. (laughs) That is basically what that song is. Well, you know what you you do? You want to go home, jerk off, and that's all you're going to do. Yeah. (laughs) Take a cold shower, shut up, Danny. Well, yeah. there's there's the answer to what happens to Danny Zuko. He becomes Jewel or er, Vincent Vin- Vega. <laughs> he keeps talking about his shits and then gets shot on the toilet. Yes, dear. Yes. Well, you live by the yeah. loo, you die by the loo. Jesus. One thing I just a little thing. Well, I love well about caught, by the way, Debbie. I haven't seen is that you know you've got uh, the ads for the Blob and you have the soundtrack of a fifties monster film Hmm. and when danny is going to grab sandy's breast he does it in the most awkward 50s monster way possible and i love it like the sort of creeping around the the thing he's not even creeping he's got he's like why are you that high up (laughs) (laughs) like nosferatu hand at this point what I'm doing until I grab her from the other side. Oh yeah, it's just totally startle her. That's exactly the way to do this. I feel like Sandy's yeah. gonna like in his head. Sandy's gonna look at that and go, "Hey, I'm liking this. You're a smooth <laughs> yeah. operator, Mister Zuko." You, you talk about the way but they it interact works so well with the background of that '50s monster movie mm. and that music and a theremin, I believe, is in there going on. <laughs> nice. But the you talk about the fact that they don't really interact very much. They if don't. You, it's not so much. They don't interact. They just they don't talk about who they are but to each is, other or their misgivings. The yeah, this yeah. is the thing. Their, their relationship, even though they are the protagonists, and this is like the breeder pair that we're all supposed to be keeping our eye on, and these are the ones who are supposed to be together, and they have this highfalutin romantic love and get to drive off in the car together at the end. What's well, a many f- splendid thing of these two yeah. of these of these group this group. Danny and Sandy are not the two who seem to be actually really passionate about each other. Mm. That's Kinnicky and Rizzo. Mm. Yeah. They have that that um, there's a there's a I don't want to keep using the word authenticity, but there is a there's an honesty about their feelings. They yell and scream at each other, and they get frustrated, and they can't keep their hands off each other. They've got that passionate, um, you know. This is this is the one that that kind of you know it's not really going to be forever because they're going to burn each other out by the time they're twenty four. But it it seems like that's the thing that's really keeping them both alive at this stage. Yeah, they're they're Brenda and Eddie from um, scenes from Italian Restaurant, the Billy Joel song. Okay. Stranded at the drive-in, branded a fool. What will they say Monday at school? Probably no means no. Oh no, wait, it's the 50s. Why haven't you married her yet? Oh, Sandy, baby, someday high school is done. Somehow, someway, our two worlds will be one. In heaven, forever, and ever we will be. United in heaven? Fuck, he's gonna kill her. 
because you grabbed at her tits like they contained the antidote for boners and you freaked the shit out of her. Um, so what then happens in the film is that uh, Sandy kind of retreats all the way, almost out of the movie. Like, she's not really part of proceedings after that. The boys' big thing is that they want to have a race with Hank Scorpio uh, to, uh, to to prove who's the biggest cowboy. And... Um, this is the Fast and the Furious prequel. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> we said, like, they should do a Fast and the Furious in Hot Rod times. Yeah. Uh, yes. Yeah. Watch yes. Uh, and I would watch that. I did notice what that they they drive on the uh, the the LA um, drainage ditch riverbed and uh, obviously which like uh, our daughter immediately uh, identified as being from T two. Uh, but me too. I the first thing I said, I'm yeah. like, there's going to be a T one thousand and a truck. Coming nice <laughs> surprise entry in the uh, drag race. Yeah, Hank Scorpio, yeah. you don't want to stay there in are no that rules on Thunder Road. So um, they drive along the diagonal side bit, and I realised that. Like Hank Scorpion is on the inside lane, and just to his left, that like as they're driving near to the finish line, there is a, 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 an alleyway to get um, either drainage or like to get another vehicle out through there. And all Danny has to do is nudge him a little to the left, and he might kill him. The fact that Danny doesn't do that is somewhat commendable because it feels like Hank would totally have done that. He's already tried to oh, carve yeah. the car up into pieces. Yeah, uh, it's it's not much of a uh, a piece, but it it does create a, a quite an interesting stunt that uh, I feel like they didn't emphasize on purpose because it is kind of imitatable if you're a kid with a car, and it's like let's go yeah. find a place where you can almost die. <laughs> The actual one of the best bits of the movie happens just before this because um, they try to give Kaniki a lucky penny and he gets his head bashed by the car door and can't race. And he's already asked Danny to be a second. And Danny says, Do you want me to drive for you? And Kaniki, who has been posturing this whole movie, just turns into a, a little kid and just goes, Yeah, in a kind of a like a, a vulnerable male, like I, I wouldn't normally yeah. ask you, but I just got bashed in the head and I am seeing fucking stars here. I can't do this. And that's commendable and admirable, and I like that bit of the movie. It's Jeff Conway, I think, gets he never really got as much meat as he could have handled as an actor. Mm. Uh that's part of the reason why he left taxi. Um, after three seasons was that he felt that, you know, anybody could play Bobby Wheeler. Like, Louie or Jim, these were distinctive characters. It could only be Danny DeVito or Christopher Lloyd. But it doesn't take much for somebody to come on stage and say, hi, Alex. Um, And that's part of the reason also why, I mean, this was his big movie debut, Mm. uh, Jeff Conway's. And, you know, he did Taxi that same year. And, you know, left that and then eventually really didn't have a big role again until Babylon 5 when uh, JMS was told specifically, you don't want to work with this guy. He's a drug addict. He's going to be a problem. And JMS said, no, let's see what he can do and give him a shot. And he ended up becoming a, you know, title character or a title card character on that. And when you get to see him actually stretch himself he can be a good actor. You see it in just that one moment in Greece, unfortunately. And I mm. wish I could have seen more of that. Mm. 
Um, before we uh, move on to, like, let's leave Sandy frozen watching all of these celebrations because that is apparently the making of Sandy at that point in the movie. We'll just leave her <laughs> yes. there for a moment and come back for her because she's been casting around trying to find an identity for herself. She knows that Rizzo seems to be a bit, like, she's, like, she's scared of Rizzo, frankly. Uh, yeah. And uh, all the other pink ladies, she's like, so what are you doing? You're, you're, you're writing to GIs and Jan seems to be a little bit, a little bit childish for, for Sandy. And, and mm. like, she's still like kind of mucking around. Frenchie is, I, th- I think I, 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 my second favorite character after Rizzo, uh, because she's, she's got kind of an Audrey from uh, Little Ship of Horrors sensibility about her. She's very, very sweet natured. And mm-hmm. she's a dreamer. And she has this, as you said earlier, uh, beauty school dropout sing song. And it's just, it's her own misgivings telling her, you're a worthless piece of shit. Go back to high school. You might just about graduate just on the baseline, but don't try doing anything beyond, um, you know, the, the standard and, and don't follow your dreams. It's a fucking tragic song. It really yeah. is. and the, the- Nobody wants their hair done by a slob. Yeah, mm. but even, like the, the, Unless she were a hooker. The fact that yes. he's ostensibly trying to encourage her to, uh, to you know, don't drop out. Side note, School, School of Movies is a pro-sex worker podcast. <laughs> we hate movies of pro-mafia. We're pro-sex worker. Um, <laughs> but not for the same reasons. Um, <laughs> what are their reasons? I mean, they're afraid, them yeah, they're afraid the mafia will kill them because yeah. they live in New York. Um Sorry. The yeah, if you if you there's a, a moment in Beauty School Dropout where he's encouraging her to go back and finish high school and it's like you can you can go further and, and higher if you actually finish your uh, your academic career seems to be the implication. But if you listen to the actual line, if you go for your diploma, you could join a steno pool. Mm. So you can go be a typist for the rest of your life. <sighs> uh, how is that better? Again, re-emphasizing how little choice women had in those days. Absolutely. And again, it's this, you can, you know, you can just do one thing. You look at, a, a, at what a secretary or a personal assistant actually does um, and, and it's it's organising and it's coordinating and it's it's uh, diplomacy and, and being able to negotiate with people and taking responsibility for other people's schedules. And there's, there's so much pressure. Mm. And yet, typist. Mm. And that's what it gets reduced Honestly, down. that song is fucking heartbreaking. Where Didi Kong, Didi Khan, I kept calling her Didi Kong. Didi Khan <laughs> is looking into Frankie Valley's eyes with this adoration. Yeah. She wants to be told something wonderful about herself, and all he does is shit all over her dreams. Yeah. Well, he's he, she's referencing. Um, she says something about Debbie Reynolds had a, a teen angel in Tammy, who, who yeah. was sort of her guardian angel, and told her what to do with her life. That is referenced in the animated intro sequence when they're driving along. They drive past a movie theater, oh, and nice. the film that is being advertised is Debbie Reynolds in Tammy. Your story sad to tell A teenage ne'er-do-well Most mixed up, non-delinquent On the blood Your future so unclear now What's left of your career now Can't even Get a trade in on your smile. 
graduation day for you, beauty school dropout. Missed your midterms and flunked shampoo. Well, at least you could have taken time to wash and clean your clothes up after spending all that dough. The doctor fixed your nose up. Baby, get moving. Why keep your feeble hopes alive? What are you proving? You've got the dream, but not the drive. If you go for your diploma, you could join us then open. Turn in your T's and comb and go back to high school. Beauty school dropout, hanging around the corner store. School dropout. It's about time you knew the score. Well, they couldn't teach you anything. You think you're such a looker, but no customer would go to you unless she was a hooker. Baby, don't sweat it. You're not cut out. Better forget it. Who wants their hair done by a slob? Now your bangs are curled, your lashes twirl. Still the world is cruel. Wipe off that angel face. Go back to high school, baby. Don't blow it. Don't put my good advice to shame, baby. You know it. The same. Now I've called the shot. Get off the pot. I've really gotta fly. Gotta be going to that malt shop in the sky. Also, it's noteworthy that Beauty School Dropout is uh, peopled by uh, Frenchie's friends, very specifically a doesn't-seem-to-want-to-be-here Marty. And uh, yeah. uh, Rizzo is there, front and left, with this kind of ha-ha-ha look on her face, which suggests that Frenchie's also kind of scared of Rizzo and doesn't feel yeah. like Rizzo would support her, which is, again, tragic. Yeah. Rizzo is very much the, the the demon on the shoulder if Frankie Avalon is the angel. Mm. Yeah. But and they're both telling her the same thing. And that's so sad because it, demon and angel. Like get these two the best two characters talking to each other and they could maybe start like you've got Laverne and Shirley right there as the sequel to Grace. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Marty is such a way, and that's the only actress who was there from the very beginning. Like mm-hmm. she was at the uh, Kingston Mines Theater 
when Greece first premiered and people were sitting on the floor on newspapers oh, wow. and the backgrounds were brown craft paper with drawing on it. Whoa. Like the first production of Greece cost about $200, 70 of which was for the car uh, that was Greece Lightning there. Mm-hmm. And it had worse production values than Work Hard or Die Trying Girl from Bob's Burgers. Oh, whoa. <laughs> Um, also, it's not w- uh, worth noting that Danny briefly tries wrestling. Uh, there's a there's a bit in the Frosty Palace where he gets jealous of the jock who's dating Sandy, goes off, does some wrestling, does some running, falls over, and then it cuts to the Frosty Palace, almost like it was a dream in his head that he was trying to be a sport boy. Um, it does kind of... Uh, pay off at the the later end of this but like sports is not for him and in 4k by the way folks when he's doing the basketball section you can see his perfectly outlined cock and balls just (laughs) pressed against the front of his shorts you can see the seam in his scrotum you can see the vein (laughs) along his wang some things were not meant to be in 4k folks unless you're really into john travolta's junk in which case go nuts Mm. also speaking of that uh, basketball section the kid that he takes the ball off and punches in the stomach is an uncredited michael Michael bean bean yes So there is our second uh, Terminator okay. reference. I'm just going to imagine now that uh, Hicks was um, Hicks was thinking of Danny Zuko when he was taking out Xenomorphs now. <laughs> nice. <laughs> this is for the guy. Fuck you, Zan, Danny. Punched me in the balls. It's all he does. Yeah. <laughs> Although I did... I did very much like just John Travolta's movements when he was cradling the ball and had his left hand up and he's kind of jumping around. Mm. Oh, he cradles the balls all right. <laughs> <laughs> just just to, to briefly talk about... This puts to, to shame even Bowie's grey elephant pants yeah. in uh, uh, Labyrinth. Continue, sorry. Um, just to, to go back to uh, the, the jock that Danny feels jealous of, this is... Uh, the athletes at this school mm-hmm. are not set up the same way as uh, jocks generally tend to be mm-hmm. in high school American high school stories, there is there's a state. Usually, jocks are kind of bullies, the and the, these guys well, are. The point being, they're the ones at the top. Mm. They tend to be the wealthy ones, or at the very least, the ones who've got something that can kick them up into Status. the upper echelons of of society. Yeah, they provide something everybody wants, which is sports. Absolutely, but here. They're shit. <laughs> they haven't won in seven years. That's right. And we're like, <laughs> yeah, the coach says we could one day ring that bell. Just put stuck in the helmet. Absolutely. And and Tom, I mean, Tom is gorgeous. I have to say, Tom yeah. is really, really good looking. But no, just no. He's just there's nothing going there's on. There's nothing in there, in there at all. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> other uh, actors that we, oh, sorry, other characters that we have in this are very briefly are Eugene and Patty. Um, Eugene is this nerd at the very bottom of the male hierarchy and just a constant punching bag. Mm. He's only in it for a bit, but they just shit on him. You know the irony? Why? Eugene's going to become a computer programmer and out-salary every last Mm. motherfucking one of them. There is that. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Um, Or a baseball player, apparently. (laughs) Yeah, all that. And then there's the kind of switcheroo with Patty, who seems to be like the, you know, the... the, 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 um, 
I suppose she's like Reese Witherspoon in Election. Like she's the girl who organizes, yeah. or Arlene Ansat Joseph yes. from Gross Point Blank. Yeah. The one who organizes things yes. and is not loved by the other girls. No. And she takes responsibility. Yeah. Daddy from WandaVision. That is, yeah, yeah. yeah. That is a way to get. Um, not even necessarily noticed, but just to have some value. But that character can go one of two ways. She can be sort of like, I do this because it's what I'm good at, and I know no one else likes me, but I, I want to be good at this thing. And there's like a brittle princess vibe about that. And that's that's a version that, that I you know is, is a little bit heartbreaking to sort of see play out. And then there's the other version, which is Patty's actually kind of horrible. She is awful. Mm-hmm. Like, she's the one who kind of, like, starts, you know, like, exacerbates rumours about Rizzo and laughs about her behind her back. Yeah, and she's, she's pushy and she seems okay at the beginning when she's the only person, well, apart from Frenchie, who's, mm. who's kind of extending a hand of friendship to Sandy. But even then, the pink ladies highlight the fact that it's all a front. Mm. She just wants votes for the fact that she's running out for um, student council. And um, she turns out to be this gossipy, superficial, um, inauthentic person who is not worth Sandy's time or and anybody else's. They don't make too much of a, uh, uh, a thing of that, but it does call into question that Sandy's desperation to stay on the straight and narrow isn't necessarily going to bring her any kind of happiness. Mm, yeah. um, it also does put a little bit of a wavy line in between some of the, uh, the, the status outlines for the, the hierarchical groups because ultimately Rizzo has status over Patty at the beginning because she's cool, mm. but Patty has status over Rizzo at the end because she is mocking her relentlessly and mm. people are joining in laughing. And Rizzo feels yeah. cast out rather than being queen exactly. at that point. There are worse things I could do Than go with a boy or two Even though the neighborhood thinks I'm trashy and no good I suppose it could be true there are worse things I could do I could flirt with all the guys Smile at them and bat my eyes Press against them when we dance Make them think they stand a chance Then refuse to Um 
there's one other thing I've got to talk about before we get to Sandy and Danny's uh, resolution, uh, and that's um, when <laughs> when uh, Danny sings his Sandy song at the drive-in, behind him, totally upstaging him for the end of the song, is what appears to be a let's all go to the lobby cartoon yeah. of, like... A drinks and, and cheese dancing with each other. But the last bit is a uh-huh. hot dog bun opening itself wide and beckoning in a wiener that does backflips to impress the hot dog bun. So the hot dog bun's watching and then eventually goes, you know what, those are some good backflips. You've you've thrust yourself upright and, and now you're, I'm going to come on inside. And I'm like, so is this like the... um. This is like the pilot for uh, Sausage Party, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. It's, yeah. Watching the metaphors in the background, specifically that one, is it's inappropriate for the song because I don't want to be laughing during that song, but I can't help it. It's, I would almost prefer to be laughing at how ludicrous it is while these kids are sort of being led down this one path and then it, it went all wrong for Danny, um, who was trying to make the, the wiener go into the bun and it didn't work. Um, but at the same time, I'm too busy saying, fuck you, to Danny. His completely crass uh, approach to Sandy. Like, he doesn't even, he doesn't talk to her. He doesn't want to know who she is. It's really hard to not see this version of Danny as like, Dude, you you just haven't got a clue, and you are just following some kind of biological imperative and, and social pressure. Not at this point. social pressure, yes. Not biological imperative. That's what I was going to say. This it, it's the the desire to grab her and have some kind of physical interaction does not seem to be motivated hmm. by what he himself wants. It's what he thinks is expected of him. Then it should have been prefaced by a section where he's like, yeah, I'm just here at the drive-in with Sandy. It's uh, no problem. We're just watching a monster movie. Well, that's oh the thing. God. The, the ball then, is thoroughly dropped. And then <laughs> some guys go, so you hit that yet? You know, you you, you made out yet? And like, you, you, you parked the pink Cadillac, you handled the hulas. You're just basically just throwing all the shit of you have to have this done now, Danny. And then just allow us as teenagers to dwell with Danny for a bit as he's like, hmm. They expect this of me. Maybe Sandy will be okay with this. Maybe Sandy's also being told this. Like, like all the girls are like, "So, did you fuck him yet?" And uh, no, it's it's the fifties. But, <laughs> um, but like, there isn't that scene. Ultimately, Danny goes in for the kill and then gets told, "No, Danny!" Uh, and then he, she runs off, and he's nonplussed as to why, and they don't fucking resolve any of this there's no talking there's no like you know soul searching on the part of either of them the closest they come is that sandy remember when i said they just sort of left her watching them like the ghost at the feast after the greased lightning wins the fucking drag race she's looking at everyone having fun and goes oh i'm not part of that but i like fun and i don't know i suppose i can i could change a little bit Thank you. 
and then proceeds to go off with Frenchie and turn herself into something which is... Sharon, do you want to talk about this? Because I, I was always kind of baffled by the fact that Danny comes out at the end of the film and he's got like a starter, um, like a, what's it, Letterman, a members only? Letterman jacket. A Letterman jacket. So he's like, yeah, I'm going to be a jack. What of it? And they're like, well, this isn't going to work. And then six seconds later, she comes out and she's like, wearing an awesome outfit. I'm not going to dispute that at all. She, like, this is Olivia Newton-John looking pants hot, hot they as had hell. to stitch her into. Like, those pants were, were like... Sprayed on. They were a one-time thing, basically. <laughs> <laughs> and, and apparently this was kind of a, a, a big deal for Sh- for Sharon. It, yes. But I will let you in just two seconds go on with why this was a huge deal. But to me, I was always a little bit, wait a sec, wait, 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 wait. So he was going to change a bit for her. And then she comes forward with a, oh, you know what? Actually, I really do like sex and I totally want to be all about that. And it's like... I theorized while watching it that this actually would have been a really good turn in the middle of the film. She starts out like super virginal, and then she goes like like what she considers Rizzo to be from her perspective in the middle, and it's like oh that didn't work either. And then finds some kind of like you know what just a little bit of uh, you know put in both camps and not necessarily uh, both sides. Are a bit right, but just like in 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 one way, it seems like she's trying to conform to one side of society, and in the other way, it's like she's trying to conform or overcompensate to fit with another side of society. And they do not question it at all. It's like, hey, she's fun now, and that's it. That's the end of the movie. Enjoy, folks, like an eclair. Okay, so okay. Well, first off, I would like to hear Debbie's take on this, given that other than knowing the the song. She wasn't entirely familiar with this. Yeah. But I will say that this tail end of the movie gave me a very, very lengthy terror of makeovers. Right. <laughs> ah. Just in the sense You that were afraid they'd you, make you into something you didn't necessarily you want to be. If you put yourself in somebody else's hands, you will end up being something that you don't recognise and really that, isn't you. That isn't the point of the movie. The movie I is, know. they fixed her. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> right. But she. this is the thing. She comes out, the, the bit that kind of cements it all for me is the cigarette. Yeah. Because she's in the scene where they're at the sleepover at Frenchie's house, she tells them she doesn't smoke, and they're trying to pressure her to smoke. I, I really don't like pressuring to smoke. That's It's bad. But um, she and uh, Rizzo's line is, come on, it won't kill you. And I'm like, it's 1978. You know perfectly well it will. But at the end... I think that's a sly she, gag. Of, well, of course it is. But the thing is, then at the end, she she's has smoking. a cigarette. Yay, she's smoking. <laughs> Hurrah, lung cancer. Anyway, <laughs> um, so, Debbie, what was your take on the um, the preface to you're the one that I want. <laughs> well, interestingly enough, I had the impression, and I had you know I had seen reviews of Greece and things, of mm-hmm. course, before I saw the movie, and I had the impression that the the song I had heard very derogatory things about it. That it's basically, oh, it's her, her, you know. She, she's changing for a man, mm-hmm. and you know, and he's barely changing for her, and then drops it. He th- he tears that jacket off himself, and like I don't need to wear this anymore and be a square. Oh my god! <laughs> yeah, yeah, and and it very as as a very derogatory thing and very not empowering for women. 
But once I watched the movie and so I saw it in context, I felt like it was more of a Sandy owning her own power Mm -hmm. and saying, hey, you know, I've I've been striving for this ideal of wholesomeness and this this ideal woman persona, I suppose you would say. Mm -hmm. And. No, I, you know what? No, I kind of want to, you know, I, I want to own my own power and own my own appeal. And I, I took it as a very empowering song. And that it's, and when you watch it in context, the fact that, no, he did, he did change for her and he is trying, you know, it's kind of, they're both putting their best foot forward for each other to say, we're going to be together and be the best versions of ourselves we can be for each other. So I, I, it actually really changed my opinion of the song, and I ended up really liking it because of that. Nice. I, I, I can see uh, why that actually, that, that there is a positivity, uh, most definitely, insofar as she's the one singing the song. Mm-hmm. She's the one deciding the way yeah. it's going to yeah. go. Yeah. And I, he's I, basically just following. Yeah, I definitely stage. agree with you, Alex, that we could really have done with this turn coming, not necessarily bang in the middle of the film, but maybe sort of two-thirds of the way through. Plus some talking! What we what we really need is a little bit <laughs> Or of, a song together! <laughs> what we need at this point Ooh. is a, a little bit of exploration of uh, Sandy's perspective on this and the, mm. like you say, Debbie, the idea that the uh, that that virginal prudish, uh, always be the good girl self is not her either, and this mm-hmm. is maybe the first opportunity she's had to actually explore other aspects of herself that so far she hasn't been able to touch on. So, like a song where she reflects on how she, when she was growing up, they made her be Sandra D, yeah, and maybe that wasn't her, and she's always kind of wanted to break out of yeah. this. And the, I mean, uh, that's kind of what the reprise is, but it's so yeah. quick yeah. and unexplorative. That's, that's kind of that's how I viewed it when I was little. Hmm. That this was Sandy finding like becoming herself. Be a good girl. Yeah, the, the be a good girl is is the fake self, and then this is her coming into her her true self. She wants so to be it a always bad from that girl. Perspective, yes, indeed. <laughs> I like the shoes as well, even though I'm not massively big on heels. They look good on Olivia Newton-John. Anyway. Yes, um, they do. Sorry, moving on. Not wanting to get um, into something too personal, but it was kind of an important step for you as a a kid. You sort of looked at that and went, wow, she's kind of... Mm. Well, it. yeah, I I never would have been able to 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 name it at that age, but I would say that this was certainly a contributing factor to my recognizing as I got older that I was bisexual and attracted to men and women. Because when you watch, you're the one that I want, and you're like, I'd be quite happy with either of them or both. <laughs> Thank you very much. Yeah, um, it's it's, it's you know quite handy for that. But um, but yeah, so the that that sort of this is this is the self that she's finally getting to explore. But because it's at the end of the movie, she doesn't get any opportunity to actually explore it. And then of course I went through phases of of feeling very oh she's changing herself for a man and and I don't appreciate that element of it. And and yes, he doesn't seem to do much, even though he's he is trying. And I think at that point if she came out as her old self he would have been quite prepared to then keep the athlete 
image going. But it's yeah. still. But then the director fake. becomes uh, Kevin Pollock in Willow and goes, "Nah, yeah. this is more fun." <laughs> well, indeed. <laughs> but it's it, it would be. This is the thing. It would be the two of them doing something synthetic in order to try and, and meet society's expectations. That is so also that true. that wouldn't work either. They're both but, outcasts now, and that's yeah. why they fly away to the sky, because there's no place <laughs> there's for them no pl- They're too beautiful to live. Yeah. Um, but this this time watching it through, it Well, they did... just turn into a giant hot dog, and it? Yeah. <laughs> um, it did strike It's like the end of the... 2001, only instead of a baby, it's just a hot, hot dog, dog floating <laughs> on the um, her, her sitting on the side of the canal, looking at the, the group, having fun and, and splashing around together, and, and being silly, that's something that it, it had never struck me how much that is a draw for her. It's not just Danny. It's mm. the it's the being accepted by the group and being able to just have fun and, and be a kid and the and, and that sort of when what she sings about in Summer Nights, it's the being silly together, the relaxing, the not having this expectation to be this perfect mm. girl. It's never said explicitly, and I think it definitely could have done with more exploration, but I think that thread of her needing to lose that, to mm. let it go, shall we say, um, uh, is definitely underpinning it. Yeah. I think there's uh, a couple of things that are going on here as well. But first of all, the end of the movie takes place in 1959. Next mm-hmm. year is 1960. So Vietnam it makes War. sense that it's kind of pre preceding the more open sexual revolution mm-hmm. of the 60s mm-hmm. in that. Uh, and it's the benefit of writing this in 1978 and having the hindsight to see where this is going. Yeah. But um, there's a couple of things here. First of all, um, the movie excises the song All Choked Up, which is good because it's kind of useless um, but in that song, Sandy makes, makes it clear that, yeah, I'm sexy now, but that doesn't necessarily mean that I'm ready to have sex. So there's a little bit more to it, but it's not a very good song, and I'm glad that they got rid of it. <laughs> um, the other things that you can see the reflections here in that when Danny sees Sandy, he reacts the same way he did when he saw her at the beginning of the film. Yeah, Sandy. he's thrilled. Uh, also, I got the impression that he actually did get that Letterman jacket. That wasn't just him putting it on. He did oh, yeah, cross-country no, no, no. running he over says, the years. Yeah, he, he let it in yeah. track. He actually put the effort in to, to, yeah. get the, to earn the um, qualification, shall we say. Shall we uh, exactly. have a scene where we see him do that? No time! No time! <laughs> just say <laughs> no. it in a half sentence and then we'll, we'll carry on. But um, the other thing is that... Custom pie is um, much more You're important. the one that I want is the exact same message as Hopelessly Devoted, only it's after she has gained some measure of power. Hmm. the message of both... Yeah, is, Devoted is following. Danny and, is, yeah. yeah, Danny is the one that I want, and there is nothing else... There is no other person that I could possibly be in love with. But uh, by the time we get to the one that I want, it's Danny is the only one I want, and he had better earn it. Hmm. Damn it. Janet. He needs to be a better person because... I don't want another man, so I need Danny to step the fuck up. Indeed. And also, I want a man, not a boy. Yeah. Yeah. That, by the way, ties in with her reprise of Sandra D, which, because it contains the same note structure, evokes Puff the Magic Dragon. I don't know if that was on purpose, but she is effectively saying goodbye to her childhood. I would say that 
Okay, the, the difference with Danny, and it's a lot subtler, is the fact that Danny is willing to show that he cares about something and willing to put in the effort for it. And yes, that's Sandy, but also it's for other things in his life, which it, in this case happens to be athletics. Yeah. And I mean, he's literally on his knees in front of Sandy, which is the opposite of, yeah, babe, you know how it was. Mm-hmm. Yeah. He doesn't care that he's in front of his friends. He loves this woman. And that is the change that he has made is that he is no longer going to be hiding his feelings. Yeah. That's, I, I agree. I, again, they could have made this more visually resplendent where, like, he gets down on his knees and the boys are all, look at Zuko getting down on his knees. And then the, yeah. the rest are like, actually, he's got this hot babe, so maybe we could do that too. They do outline yes. that visually because when she first turns up, mm-hmm. who sees her first? It's not Danny. Kaneki? It's the T-Birds. They yeah. see her one at a time and they have this, uh, oh, my God. Giant woman. <laughs> <laughs> <sighs> um, Please step on me, Olivia Newton-John. Oh God! <laughs> not that's not me. Danny's that's realization. That's I think in this, um, it really I think of Fonzie, which my favorite Fonzie quote is: "Being cool is knowing the difference between right and wrong, and doing what's right with guts." Nice. Yeah. I believe I have seriously underestimated one Arthur Fonzarelli. that like, this is barely worth mentioning but uh, they uh, at one point they they say about to marty oh you going with a korean and she's writing to the gis um, but the korean war i'm just checking now is 1953 the vietnam war that i mentioned before began in like 55 didn't it so that uh, means marty I is 47 if or in 47 if you really want to oh, seriously it. vietnam well, it was uh, there was a French colonial effort right after World War II to try to take over uh, Vietnam, and America started sending peacekeeping troops in order to support the French. Right. So yeah, we we had troops there as early as right after World War II. Mm. But the Korean War was definitely done by '53, five years before yeah. Greece. The active conflict may have been, but there might well still have been. Mm. Um, We're working on mash rules. Oh God! The now Greek. I'm. <sighs> Working on the MASH timeline of the Korean War, which lasted 11 years. <laughs> yeah, but now I'm thinking about it. The, the Vietnam War, it's, it says that the, like it started proper in 1955. That means there is a really high likelihood that all the T-Birds are going to end up getting drafted. drafted. I was just thinking precisely yeah. that. And not only Fuck. that, Marty is going to end up marrying whichever of her pen friends actually makes it home. Yeah. Yeah. 
Oh no, he ruined Grace! <laughs> I did not intend to do that, folks. Okay, well, or, 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 we accept that Just Like Beauty and the Beast did not have a French Revolution where they'd cut the fucking beast's head off. Yes. That because it exists in a heightened version of reality whereby people can immediately burst into non-diegetic song. And fly cars out yeah, to fun fairs. That uh, the war is just set dressing and didn't immediately happen and wouldn't have immediately drafted. I, th- there's no the mention of active conflict when they're talking about yeah. Marty's boyfriend. So, yeah. But they, uh, when the uh, principal's going through the list of things that women could be and list of things that men could be, it's like you could be a president, a different kind of president, Vice President Nixon. Like that's a that's a deliberate <laughs> ah to the 1978. Yeah. You want to be Nixon? You want to be Nixon? No, you don't want to be Nixon. No, like like, like <laughs> if we, if only we were clever enough to realise that Nixon was a liar and a cheat, and yeah. stepped down as soon as he realised the game was up. <clears throat> um, but the, the women, you can be either the president's wife or an entertainer. And I suppose it's better than a typist or, uh, a, waitress. or a waitress or in beauty school uh, as, as the only possibilities for a woman. But um, yeah, it, it, honestly, I'm kind of glad we don't live in the 1950s or the 1970s. Although, you say that, I worked at a further education college in the mid-2000s and plumbing courses and uh, hairdressing courses. Wow. I mean, there was other stuff as well, but those were like the two big draws. Yeah, okay. School of Movies is funded by Patreon, and our $15 sponsors get credit every episode. So, thank you once again to Aaron Lecluse, Abel Sabard, Alex Outridge, Angus Lee, Benjamin Hoffer, Brian Novak, Cassandra Newman, Chris Finnick, Christopher Wolfe, Kieran Dashler, Connor Kennedy, Dan Mayer, Daniel Salguero, Dan Hepner, Dave Hickman, David Sheely, Duran Barnett, Evan Jankowski, Finbar Nicole, Frankie Punzi, Greg Downing, Jameis Enright, Jesse Ferguson, Joe Gasiga, Joe Crow, Joel Robinson, Johan Clayson, Joseph Gluck, Kat Esman, Kevin Vahey, Lorraine Chisholm, Mark Luksch, Matthew A. Siebert, who commissioned this very episode, Matthew Webb, Michael Hasco, Scott Jacob, Sarah Montgomery, Tim Rosensky, Timothy Green, Toby Jungius, Tom Painter, Trey Contreras, and Valencia Burns. And next week, we have a treat for you. Another commissioned show, one of the funniest martial arts films you will ever see, but also kind of astonishing, Kung Fu Hustle. I didn't realize it was just how, um, like, tongue-in-cheek it was about things until I watched it. I always had this this image of it being squeaky clean and super cheesy, and I'm like, oh no, this is very... There's a lot of talk about sex here, and that's a lot more risque than I expected, which it made me happy. <laughs> I think you might have been conflating it with High School Musical, which is like this if you remove all the sex. Yeah. Well, that's what when they yeah. tried to recreate Greece for uh, later, younger generations, they rinsed the shit out of it. Mm. Uh-huh. I think it's yeah, because think- adults are 
really uncomfortable with the idea of making entertainment that involves sex and being sexually interested in each other for teenagers. I mean, frankly, I feel a bit odd and creepy watching Grease, even though the actors are all in their 20s and are now, you know, pushing into their 70s. Stock out shit and married the president, for goodness sake. So she achieved the 1958 dream of a woman. But, I mean... (laughs) It's dodgy ground, and ultimately you can go one of two ways. You can either kind of embrace it the way that they did here and be kind of risque about it, or you, or I suppose you could just be a bit more frank about it and um, and more honest and, and uh, illustrate the pressure that um, kids are under. Or you can go in the other direction and go sex. Well, that's just something that happens with adults, and we're not going to be talking about it here, thank you very much. These are teenagers who are totally sexless. In part because they're thinking, that's how you end up on a hashtag. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. Again, I think Hairspray does a good job of uh, finding that balance. Yeah. Plus handling some fucking thorny racial issues as well. Yeah. Yeah. But ultimately, that's what it comes down to. If if you're uh, if you're dealing if you're an adult and you're dealing with children who are at that point where they are starting to uh, explore who they are, and that is inevitably going to involve sex, even mm. if their conclusion is then, do you know what? This isn't for me. But you kind of have to let them get on with it. Also, I don't want to be a boomer ragging on the millennials' Kenny Ortega's High School Musical trilogy. <laughs> uh, it, yeah. it was a huge deal for a lot of people, and they loved it, and that's that's fine. Obviously, not my gen, but... Um, yeah. Uh, the... Thank you for Zach Efron, but we don't. It, it's fine. <laughs> but um... yeah, he's old enough now that I don't have to look at him and think I'm going to hell. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Uh, so, but yeah, ultimately, uh, I feel like we're going to get something that feels a bit more like Greece coming up for for you know future generations as they are a bit more frank about. Um, not just sex, but the spectrum of, uh, of, of gender identity, and, and maybe make it a bit less all white, totally heteronormative. And you go stand in the girl box, you go stand in the boy box. And weirdly, like pairing them up monogamous, like Frenchie gets paired up with Doody or something, doesn't yeah, he? They, He's the they worst. They really don't suit each other at all. I mean, like Putsy and Jan, yeah, I can see that. Doody and Frenchie, no. Mm. Yeah, no, not happening. Yeah, and we know Marty that wouldn't touch. <laughs> she wouldn't touch Sonny, Sonny with yours. to scratch him. <laughs> but uh, yeah, yeah. So then oh, he's got a creepy radio DJ to. Oh God, yeah. yeah. I do like the fact that when he does sleaze up to her, you're supposed to go, "Ugh, that's that's an adult sleezing up to a teenager," and that mm-hmm. feels wrong. And yeah. and so yeah. yeah, he embarrasses her on national television as well. So, uh, but she sort of holds it together with that yeah. enforced <laughs> smile, like she's got a yeah. rotten oyster under her tongue. But uh, yeah, no, it's uh, it. Ultimately, I think uh, I feel like I entered into this movie expecting to just be a lot more kind of this has dated like fuck. But I found myself, we both found ourselves singing along to it at full volume while we were watching the commentary. Mm. And it's like we were caught up in the music when we couldn't really hear the music all that much. That's how catchy (laughs) it is. Well, I mean, I know these songs inside out and backwards. I had the album on vinyl. I used to listen to it constantly. We had the Grease mega mix playing at our school disco year after year. Mm. So I was listening. I was listening to it just this morning while making breakfast. And when we go swimming in the mornings, um, the satellite radio station that we listen to plays Grease Lightning on a fairly regular basis. Nice. (laughs) 
So then Danny and Sandy go flying off into the sky and we're given a sweet fantasy ending. We don't need to think about the fact that Danny still needed to do a lot of growing up before their relationship can have any real hope of lasting. Like he needs to be, as, as she illustrated, a man, not a boy. And we haven't seen him get to do that yet. It all apparently happened off camera, as did Sandy's development. And Sandy would need to find some middle ground, perhaps, with her own identity and become a version of her that feels right after slaloming into wildly different directions. Yeah. Potentially. Maybe she just goes, you know what? This is all I need. No. Yeah. And I'll tell you for why. Because? Because those pants are not sustainable. <laughs> <laughs> Eventually they have to be peeled off. Absolutely. There's yeast infections going on. Oh my God. Oh. <laughs> Can we get through one podcast without talking about yeast infections? <laughs> That's like my That's one rule. Time in ages. All right, I promise I won't do it again for at least six weeks. Oh. Okay. So, but this is a this is a fantastical version of the fifties, like I said, that only once or twice darkly hinted at the Nixon and Vietnam War, which had already started and would throw America up against a counterculture and a great deal of sobering, ugly home truths, leading to a malaise in the seventies. And the filmmakers knew this as they were directing in 78. They just wanted to deliver us something that was both sleazy and pure at the same time. And on that front, Grease is a roaring success. Clean as unsullied cotton sheets, yet greasy and filthy. Naive, yet reflective. So, before we go, can you two folks tell us where the listeners at home can find your best stuff? Uh, sure. Uh, actually, my latest stuff you can find on somethingghoulish.com. Um, by the time this comes out, I will start having my episode-by-episode episode breakdown of WandaVision that I'm working on for oh, them, yeah. um, as well as a couple of movie reviews that I've put up for them recently. That Check it out, somethingghoulish.com, or you could go to sequentially-yours.com and find some of my older videos on there, dealing with comics and diving into them as a literature term or seeing the two of us uh, talk about comic book media together. And you can find me mainly on Twitter, on, on his side as well, um, but mainly on Twitter. I'm always game to talk, always game for pet photos. Um, and when I feel real strongly about stuff, I usually do a thread. I did a thread about uh, not too long ago about Mulder on X-Files and how he's actually a really good male role model. Um, so, yeah, come Come say hi. And that is all from us on Greece this week. See you for Kung Fu Hustle next week. I've been Alex Shaw. I've been Sharon Shaw. And school's, school's out, out, baby! <laughs> <laughs> Why did I become Audrey too there? I'm not sure. <laughs> anyway. We go to